0: That wrong. You want to be ashamed of yourself. How the hell is that Mike Florio's job? So what? do you know? Wednesday PFTPM franchise tag deadline day has come and gone, and the biggest name, obviously quarterback Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys, no deal done, which means he can only play under a one-year contract. He's already signed his franchise tender, thirty-one point four million. That's what he'll make this year. Next year. They'll do it all over again. They can't do a long-term deal until the 2020 regular season ends. Hopefully there is one. And then at that point, the Cowboys will have to decide, do we sign him to a long-term deal? Do we franchise tag him again? Or do we let him walk away as a free agent? Now, the transition tag next year, probably not an option for the Cowboys because either way, he gets a 20% increase over that $31.4 million franchise tag salary for this year it's 37.68 transition tag or franchise tag for next year so if they're going to do one or the other it's presumably the franchise tag there are people out there who are speculating the Cowboys won't tag Dak again next year that no one will pay him 37.68 million basically he should have taken the best deal he could have gotten with the Cowboys now here's the problem with that thinking the Cowboys chose the highest possible level of the franchise tag this year for Dak Prescott. They've already made it clear that they believe in Dak Prescott, unless they would be willing to admit that they regret using the highest level of the franchise tag to keep Dak Prescott around, to prevent him from even talking to another team, to completely slam the door on the possibility of someone signing him to an offer sheet with two first-round picks as compensation. Unless they would say they were wrong to do that, then it's a no-brainer. 37.68 million becomes what he gets next year, barring a catastrophic injury or a dramatic decrease in his skills and abilities. 69.08 million over the next two years, and then 45 million plus under the transition tag in 2022, or 54 million plus in 2022 under the franchise tag, or walk away as a free agent like Kirk Cousins did a couple of years ago. That's what the future holds for Dak Prescott. It's that simple. In the immediate future, he gets a raise from $2 million in football salary in 2019 to $31.4 million in 2020. That is not a bad increase. As increases go, anytime the increase is in the hundreds of percents, or as the case may be, thousands of percents, that's a pretty good raise over what you made last year. So a $29.4 million bump for Dak Prescott to do the same job that he did last year. Now, it wasn't likely that many of the guys who were franchise tagged were going to get long-term deals done given the pandemic, given the uncertainty, what's the salary cap going to be next year, et cetera. Two deals were done. We talked about Chris Jones yesterday, the Chiefs defensive lineman, has his long-term deal. And now, at a time when it wasn't expected that Derrick Henry, the Titans running back, would have a long-term deal to stay in Tennessee, he has a four-year contract, reportedly a $50 million deal with $25.5 million guaranteed. And remember, when we hear that guaranteed, just generically guaranteed, that means injury guarantee, not full guarantee. The question will be whether or not the full guarantee is more than, and I'm checking my math here, $22.61 million, because $22.61 million is what Henry would have made this year and next year under the franchise tag. Now, maybe the full guarantee will be less than that, because you're a running back there's no guarantee that you're going to be healthy enough and effective enough to get tagged again next year at a $12 million plus number. But that's what essentially you look at from the standpoint of the calculation. This year's franchise tag, next year's franchise tag. How much does the full guarantee compare to that sum? And again, the sum is 22.61. The full guarantee, injury guarantee is 25.5 for Derrick Henry. And he's got two more years where he's committed year-to-year with the Tennessee Titans. And good for him, it's only a four-year deal. Remember, the back end of these long-term deals, that's just a favor to the team. That's a gift to the team where it has a year-to-year option. If the player's still playing well, we're happy to pay it. If he's not playing well, we tear it up. There's no real upside for the player under that scenario. The shorter the deal, the better. Three-year deal would have been ideal for Derrick Henry Four years, a nice middle ground between three and five, assuming that's what the two sides were angling to get. So bottom line is he's under contract. He'll be a Titan this year, undoubtedly a Titan next year. And then 2022, 2023, we'll see, depending upon how effective he continues to be, because this is a physical running back who takes a pounding and gives a pounding. And you have to wonder how many years he can continue to do that at a high level, justifying the kind of salary that he'll be getting on average over the next four seasons. Two guys who did not get long-term deals who have yet to sign their franchise tenders, Bengals receiver A.J. Green and Jaguars defensive end Yannick Ngakwe. Now, with Ngakwe, he's shown that he's willing to accept a trade without a new contract. The question is, who would trade for him knowing that they're only getting a one-year deal? Remember last year, the Seahawks traded for Jadavion Clowney after the franchise tag long-term contract deadline passed. Actually, so the trade happened right around Labor Day weekend. But the Texans ended up paying a large chunk of that money that was due to Clowney last year in order to facilitate the trade. The Jaguars aren't going to pay anything to facilitate a trade of Yannick Ngakwe. And the problem is whatever the Jaguars want for Ngakwe, they have to before July 15 with the understanding that the team that gets him signs him to a long-term deal. With the team that gets him now not having any opportunity until after the season to sign him to a long-term contract, he's worth less in trade. That doesn't mean he won't be traded, but it's a dynamic that needs to be completely reconsidered and recalibrated by the Jaguars. And the the key for the Jaguars is this. They dump his salary if they can trade him. And as we are looking at a 2020 season where money will be down, where there's no indication that the players will be giving back any salary— The easy way to save money is to take one of these big ticket items like a franchise tag salary and move it off the roster. And for the Jaguars, the easy way to do it, take the best deal you can get and trade Yannick Ngakwe. You would save a lot of money in the process. If there's a team that's out there that is willing to give up something of value for Ngakwe and take on his franchise tag, knowing that they'd have to give him a 20 percent raise next year, get him signed to a long term contract or see him walk away in free agency. As it relates to AJ Green, something we talked about earlier in the week, the possibility that a team will just rescind the franchise tender. It's only happened three times in the past 20 years. Jeremiah Trotter, then with Washington, had the actually then with Philadelphia, had the tender rescinded. He signed a big contract with Washington. Corey Simon, also with Philadelphia a couple of years later, had the franchise tag rescinded in September. Josh Norman with the Panthers at the time had the franchise tender rescinded and signed with Washington. After that franchise tag went away, it doesn't happen often. But when you consider the dynamics, when you consider the financials of the 2020 season, it's a great way for the Bengals to save a lot of money quickly. And A.J. Green would walk away and become a free agent and someone would presumably sign him. And he probably wouldn't get what he would otherwise make from the Bengals this year if they would rescind the franchise tender, but they would save significant money. And as we look at the financial realities again for the 2020 season, There are going to be some teams that are clamoring for opportunities to reduce payroll. And when you consider Green didn't even play at all last year, what are they really missing? They're saving money and the team's not going to be any different than it was last year because they didn't have A.J. Green on the field at all in 2019. One of the bigger realities that relates to the ongoing discussions between the NFL and the NFL Players Association is the financial aspect of what will happen this year, next year, and beyond, given the lost money as a result of the pandemic, but also the safety protocols need to be negotiated between the league and the union. There was a report today from Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic that NFL owners have scheduled a meeting for Friday. And that's basically the drop dead day. If you want to proceed as scheduled with rookies reporting, for their COVID-19 tests, with rookie conditioning, with veterans who are rehabbing injuries showing up a few days early for their COVID-19 test, and then starting conditioning a couple of days early and ultimately culminating in veterans showing up on the 26th, not injured veterans, healthy veterans on the 26th and full camp starting on the 28th. Friday is the day they have to get something done unless they start bumping deadlines back. And with the owners set to meet. What that means is the league expects there's going to be a proposal on which the owners will vote. A proposal as to the rules for safety and other related protocols in the facility, on the sidelines, on the bus, on the plane, everywhere. All of the comprehensive rules regarding how football in a pandemic will work, plus whatever financial deal the NFL and the NFLPA can strike. And and remember, we talked about this yesterday. The NFLPA has a leverage on the financial side, not as much on the health and safety side, but they got a lot of leverage on the financial side. And hopefully the two sides can come to an agreement that the owners will accept that the NFLPA will accept, and then they can move forward at dealing with the bigger problem of ensuring that they can get a season in given everything that's happening with the current pandemic. But Friday is the day it's all pointing in direction. It's a deadline driven business. Nobody's going to move to their bottom line prematurely. That's why we always talk about how important deadlines are. Yeah, they started talking Monday and they talked again today, but you don't start creeping toward what your drop dead position is until the clock begins to toll, until you know that the deadline has arrived and then you get it done then and hopefully they'll get something done that everyone can live with and that will be practical and that ultimately will be successful at a time when the virus continues to spread unchecked. And who knows if football is going to happen at all this year at any level. High school, probably not. College, at this point, probably not. NFL, you know, there will be some regret at some point. They won't admit it, but there'll be some regret that they didn't do the bubble approach. Now, the bubble approach would have been expensive. The bubble approach would have been complicated. It may have been unwieldy. It may have been impossible to put everyone in there for five to six months. That many people, that many fields that many facilities, and keep the virus out. But when you consider what's going on in the cities where multiple teams are located and in the country at large, I think they're going to wish they had done a bubble because I think the sports that do the bubble are going to find themselves much more successful. You don't keep the virus out completely, but I think the teams that are playing in cities like Houston and Dallas and Phoenix and L.A., they're going to have to worry about outbreaks unless they can get testing That is done daily, if not more frequently, and with a turnaround faster than 24 hours. And when you consider the soaring demand for testing in these cities that have become hotspots, it's just hard to reconcile football players and teams, coaches, everyone who would need tests getting it turned around that fast when other people need results as well. And they're having to wait up to a full week to get there. So bottom line is, let's hope it all gets worked out between the league and the union for now. And then let's hope they find a way to successfully launch a season, uh, given how, frankly, selfish and or stupid so many Americans have been when it comes to the question of doing what needs to be done to have a football season. And, you know, if we don't have a football season, quick editorial comment. I mean, this whole thing's editorial comments, but but an even more editorial comment on the state of our country right now. The people who will be complaining the most about no football are the people who are, will be most to blame for the fact that there is no football. And surely they won't be accepting the blame for no football, even though it's their own selfish and stupid behavior that put us in a position where if football does collapse, it's going to be because of the folks who end up complaining about it the most. All right, there was a story this morning out of Louisville. Kenny Stills, the Texans receiver who had been very involved in social justice activities over the course of the past several years. He was involved in a protest for... Uh, the murder of Breonna Taylor from several months ago, still no arrest made. She was shot and killed in the execution of a no-knock warrant. And uh, that has been one of the flashpoints nationwide as people are seeking justice and equality for all Americans. Kenny Stills and 87 others arrested on felony charges. And it's a very vague intimidation of someone involved in a legal process. It seems like something that's not gonna stick. It just seems like somebody decided to be overly aggressive with Kenny Stills and others. And of course, the great irony is these individuals who are protesting have spent more time in jail than the police officers who killed Breonna Taylor. And Kenny Stills, unrepentant, people have asked me about the personal conduct policy, how will it apply here? Well, if there's ultimately some sort of a conviction or guilty plea or no contest plea, then the NFL would look at it, but surely the NFL considers the broader circumstances. And the personal conduct policy continues to be, if nothing else, a PR tool, The last thing you're going to see the NFL do is suspend Kenny Stills for six games because of whatever it is that may come out of these charges that have been lodged against him in Louisville. It's still too early to know exactly what happened or where it goes from here. But the point is, this is far different from the typical type of criminal charge that we see NFL players face. And there's a chance it all goes away sooner rather than later. And it's just an example of someone being overly aggressive with people who are exercising their right to protest the murder of Breonna Taylor and the fact that no one has been held accountable for it yet. All right, last point before we go. There's plenty of buzz about a story that is expected Thursday in The Washington Post regarding the Washington NFL franchise. And there has been noise about this. There have been rumblings about this for the past couple of weeks. I've heard some of the things that it may be about, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole for now, though. I'm content to wait, as you should be as well. There have been tweets from people who currently cover the team, people who used to cover the team, suggesting it is not going to be good for the franchise. Jason Lock and who was with The Post before he went to NFL Network and now he's at CBS, he said that the toxic culture of the team is about to be exposed again. So we'll see. We'll see what it is. But I will say this. I first caught wind of this effort to expose something, regarding the Washington franchise a week and a half ago. And that's what caused me within the process of making a few phone calls to learn that Dwight Shar and Fred Smith, two of the limited partners in the ownership of the team have been trying to sell and are unhappy being in partnership with Daniel Snyder and want out. So look, and, and I don't go too far down the speculation path here. We had an item about this a week and a half ago Um, The bottom line is something is coming out and I'm just going to leave it at that. Unless the Washington Post decides to stand down, they've got their teeth into something and uh, we'll we'll see what it is. Larry Michael, the long-term play-by-play voice of the franchise retired today out of the blue. A lot of people are looking at the timing and saying, wait, this is one day before this story comes out. Is there maybe something there? And again, nobody knows at this point, it will all become clear when the story is published, assuming it is published. But uh, something is out there and something is percolating. And I'm getting the feeling if the Washington Post doesn't run with it, someone else eventually will. So stay tuned. We may have more to say about it tomorrow if that Post story finally is published. If not, as I said, there's just enough smoke out there that someone is going to light the match at some point And we'll see what happens with the Washington franchise at a time when it's in the process of trying to change its name and logo on an expedited basis. That's it for Wednesday's PFT PM. Quick reminder, we're back on NBCSN Monday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern to 9 a.m. with Chris Sims as we begin the process of getting you ready for football season or not. Let's hope it's not or not. Let's hope it is football season. But either way, profootballtalk.com, PFT PM, PFT Live. Just some of the ways that you can keep up to date on everything happening in the National Football League. Have a great evening, and we will do this again tomorrow.